We are in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Uh, we went through verses 3 through 5 last week. I'm going to read through the whole chapter and show you uh, four parts of this first chapter. We're going to be on this section right here today, verses 6 through 11. But Paul begins by telling Timothy the reason he dropped him off in Ephesus is to stop certain people from teaching. Now, one of the things as we look at this, Artemis is a ama- again, uh, I don't know if I, this is exactly right, but the worship of Artemis is a big, big deal in Ephesus. We saw the riot that they had. The whole town showed up at the theater and there was a riot. Uh, Paul was going to be charged and he left right after that and went into Corinth, had issues in Corinth. He went up to Macedonia and into Corinth uh, during, in, in the book of Acts. He is never, in a sense, going to come back into Ephesus because possibly of the legal charges that are being brought against him. Uh, he just drops Timothy. When he comes back by in 57 AD, uh, he meets the elders outside of the city, and they go back in. He drops Timothy off here in 62 AD after being in prison for a riot that started in, uh, in Jerusalem. He drops Timothy off and leaves him there, but he himself doesn't go in and visit the church. Imagine Timothy uh, going to Ephesus and not visiting the church. Why, I mean, you're, the church of Ephesus is right there, but he never goes in the town. He sails by in 57. In 62, he drops Timothy off and goes into Macedonia and writes a letter back. Uh, he, while he was in prison, he wrote an entire, you know, the, one of the great epi- or, yeah, epistles uh, to Ephesus. But you never hear him mention Artemis. You never hear him talk about idol worship here in Ephesus. He talks about the church. In this case, certain men are in the church teaching false doctrine. Uh, and just one of the things that you think about uh, is he, he's writing documents, and he's, not, he's got legal charges, and it's just a good idea to talk, possibly talk around this situation without bringing up direct mes- mention of the temple. Uh, even in 2 Timothy, it's going to be the silversmith from Ephesus that has caused him great damage and maybe the reason he is executed, not because of the conflict with the Jews in Jerusalem, but because of this conflict in the culture of Ephesus. Paul is going to be decapitated, uh, and it may be coming out of this situation. So as, he's, as we're reading through this, always missing is don't worship Artemis. There's no attack on Artemis. or He's talking about a lot of things. And in this case, we're going to be talking about the law, and he's going to be going, uh, to apparently, in a Jewish setting. And we'll, we'll talk about this as we go through. But he's going to start off, certain men are going to be commanded not to teach. And they're talking about in the local church. He's not talking about in the temple of Artemis. He's not talking about the, false, or the philosophers. He's talking about in the church, people have come into the churches. And again, there's probably many houses that have Christians meeting in them. Today he's going to, then, apparently, and you can judge this as we read through this, Chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, is about commanding certain men not to teach. In chapter 1, verse 18, he's going to almost like continue talking about this right here. In fact, now he's going to name, two men are going to be named, and so the theme continues. But right here, in today's verses, he starts talking about the law and lawlessness and what the teachers are doing. And then next thing he starts talking about, you'll see it, he goes off and starts talking about the gospel. This would be a problem they're going to start teaching the law which is going to lead to false teaching and then he's going to compare it to the gospel which is going to be the message it's what it's going to set you free is the gospel so here's the contrary here's the good message then he goes back to talking about the certain men that are teaching that they need to be stopped so again the theme starts here chapter one verses three through five it will continue right here but not until he's had two deviations that fit perfectly but now i'm going to read it to you and you can kind of see this or hear this yourself chapter one chapter one verses three through five as i urged you when i went into macedonia stay there in ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrine any longer nor to devote themselves to again hear these words to myths and endless genealogies these promote controversies rather than the word of God or God's work, excuse me, rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. Okay, 
Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. And now he's going to talk about that meaningless talk that's going to lead into the good talk, the message of the gospel and the power it has. A lot of personal details in there. And then back to this original subject. Here's our verses for today. Uh, these promote controversies. I'm looking for my verse here. Faith, okay. Uh, some have wandered away from these, these certain teachers, and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is, made for, is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers, and here's a whole list, and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers, and perverts, for slave traders, for li and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. So they're going to be taking the law, these teachers, they want to be teachers, and they're going, we've got to decide, they're going to the Mosaic law, the, the Old Testament, and teaching it in a way it's like, no, that's, that doesn't even make sense. You're, you're making, it's meaningless talk. It's speculation. It's, you're reading in between the genealogies. You're just, that's not what it says. And it becomes meaningless talk, which leads astray. It won't lead to God godliness, which is, how do you get to the godliness? It's by the gospel. And now here's the contrast. And now he's still in between talking about stopping the false teachers. Instead of teaching this law, in a lawless way, and that's, that's going to be a, a play on words, the law is good as long as it's used lawfully. You gotta, you've got the law of Moses, well, you can take, oh, we're teaching the law of Moses, then come over here and start speculating and making it mystical and all these insights, like, that's not even what it says. We're teaching the law, but you're teaching it illegally. You're teaching it unlawfully. You're, you're twisting it out of proportion, and it's meaningless. Yeah, but we're reading, I mean, we're going to say this many times. Imagine how many people are involved in it or are teachers are in churches and i judge myself on this and they're waxing elegant on the text of the word of god but it's like the text is good but your explanation is meaningless it's you're completely deviating from the meaning of the verse we'll talk about that as we go now from there now he goes to the gospel verse 12 he says i thank christ jesus our lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying, and again kind of sums this whole part up. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So right here, this part, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Here's the law, all this meaningless talk about the genealogies and speculation. It's like, okay, you're missing the whole point. You're just, you're just creating confusion. The message is Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, this is about the message. This is about the messenger. They've got the correct text but there the messenger is mixing it up twi twisting it around explaining it the way they want to and people are going "Ooh, wow what a great presentation it was meaningless they twisted the text but it was such a powerful presentation they're such a great speaker but their their message is worthless because they've twisted it where paul comes down here and how does he describe the messenger you can see how he describes the messenger. Well, I studied under Gamaliel. I spent years studying the Torah. I was a guest speaker in many synagogues. I am a renowned traveling apostle. Uh, it's like, wow. No, he says, he introduces himself as, uh, I thank God, Jesus Christ Jesus our Lord, verse 12, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. I was showing mercy. In other words, right here is the power of the gospel. Myself, I'm worthless. Myself, I, I am not worthy of this. But God gave me grace that I might tell you this message. What is the message? Well, verse 15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am the worst. Once again, here's the message. What about the messenger? <laughs> I am the worst of sinners. Focus on the message. Uh, save sinners of whom I am the worst, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst sinner, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example of those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, and only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Almost sounds like the closing of a letter, a benediction, but he's closing down this part right here. So he's made this detour, the law, it's good, but if you teach it lawlessly, it's meaningless. Here, first of all, I'm wor not worthy of this, but the gospel is what saves humanity. That is worthy of full acceptance. Now, right back to the topic. We're going from certain men are, need to be stopped. We go right back to that in verse 18. Now, now he picks up where he left off here, verse 18. Timothy, my son. See, this, recognize he's, my son again. It's almost a repeat of this, a restarting of the message. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. He mentions conscience again. Some have shipwrecked this. Remember up here he talked about faith, a good conscience. Now down here, you keep following the prophecies made about you, keep following the call of God, keep following this gospel so that you will have faith and a good conscience. Some talking about these certain teachers, some have rejected these. They've rejected faith, right here, the faith in the gospel, and they've gone to this lawlessness, lawless teaching of the law. Some have rejected these and so shipwrecked their faith. In other words, seriously, if you want to follow teachers that are teaching, lawlessly teaching the law, they may have great speculation. They may be able to like read between the lines and say, ooh, look at this secret mystery here. It's like you're shipwrecking your faith because it's meaningless. It's speculation. This is the message. Some have rejected these and shipwrecked their faith. And then here's your names. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. In other words, He's not, in a sense, praying for them. It's like they are destroying, we're going to read later, entire households of believers by coming in and teaching this. Now, it's amazing. It's like, wow, how did you have such great insight? They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about. He names two of them. In other words, if these two guys are showing up and teaching in your groups, Hymenaeus and Alexander, understand, the Apostle Paul, who started this church, is stopped, in a sense, praying for him and just handed him over to Satan and let Satan teach you what happens when you blaspheme this gospel and start teaching your own speculation. It's not a pretty thing. Now, again, he, again, would be hoping they're coming back, but it's a matter of here. There's only one place for them to go. Go to your master of deception and, and, and live in that world. So that is how this is broken down. We're going to now focus today on what is being said in these verses right here, chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. And that's where... Our notes pick up right here on uh, our little chart right here. We've got, this is what we had up here last week. As we sum up chapters or verses 3 through 5, uh, God's administration or what God is doing at this time in history, his administration, his household. What is God doing in the church? The, what, this time in history, God's administration. You're teaching healthy doctrine good teaching, teaching the truth, and that enters the human soul. Again, notice I try to do a little dark right here, and as the light moves through it, it becomes lighter. But nonetheless, the human soul is dark. Uh, this is huge for today in our culture. It's like without God, uh, you get a group of people that come together, and you know, we're all good people. We all have good intentions. We can all just work together, follow our hearts, and just encourage each other. Okay, you understand, you're coming into a dark world in a dark place with a dark heart, and we're all just going to follow the light within the darkness of our hearts. It's like, okay, this doesn't work. This is, this is illogical. Uh, and again, there's no way you can present this because you're telling people, uh, okay, you're all ignorant. Now, there are some general revelations, but except for the Word of God coming into your heart and shining a light in here, you're not going to be able to recognize darkness from the light. But when this truth enters this human soul, you will be able to have a pure heart, meaning not guilty. You'll be able to avoid sin or confess your sin, a, a, a good conscience, 
and sincere faith, you'll actually believing in that message of Jesus Christ. You're actually believing, not faking like you're a good Christian, not pretending, you know, you, whatever you think, you can think of like 10 different ways that people fake like they're a Christian. And all of a sudden, the, the wool's pulled away, and, and you realize that they're, they're, they're a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, and, and not necessarily leadership, but just people in general are trying to be a Christian. I'm a Christian. Uh, whenever it's contemporarily po- popular, everyone's going to be like, yes, a Christ follower or whatever. But then as soon as it's required that you produce this character of God in the world that will persecute this, it's like, well, they, they retract. Nonetheless, this will enter the human heart, soul, produce a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith, which will then produce the fruit, which is summed up by Paul in verses 3 through 5 as love, which is then, uh, that's the goal of this faith, which comes from this information in the human heart, is this love, which would basically be the character of God, the fruit of the Spirit, the image of Jesus Christ. You're now walking, and this is going to be important in these verses, you would now be, by coming to faith in Christ, you are now positionally righteous. You are righteous in Christ. Now, you should be continuing to receive this truth and growing and producing. You're righteous. You are justified. Now, that does not mean you are, in a sense, sinless or perfect, but in God's eyes, you have the Word of God in your heart. You have the Spirit of God in your heart. You've been born again, and this is now transforming you into the image of Christ. You are the righteous, you are the justified, being conformed. That is, that is important in our discussion today. These would be the people. Now the opposite would be, as we see, as we looked at the next chart, you see out here, the false teachers are bringing in different doctrine. They're not teaching godly teaching or healthy doctrine. They're teaching different doctrine. They're speculating. They're reading between the lines of the genealogy. It may be completely entertaining. It may be totally like, wow, I mean, I can, I mean I've, I've heard them. I mean, I, I remember hearing people, and they're just like, wow, that's, that's just so amazing, so deep, so rich. And again, point this out, the time that you hear something about deep teaching, the deep doctrines, that's in Revelation talking about the deep doctrines of Satan. So when everybody says, well, you know, Galen really teaches deep doctrine. It's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's a simple point. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sin, but it's so rich, it's so deep. I've never heard it explained like that. Oh, no, don't say that. Which, again, I take warning as I read through this whole thing. How about that line? They want to be teachers, but they don't know what they're talking about. What do I want to be? I want to be a teacher, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, I'm always on that verge of, well, I'm going to now go to the next chapter and wax elegantly. There I flatter myself. Wax, you know, mumble through it. And it's like, at the end, it's like, well, he wants to be a teacher, but... He doesn't know what he's talking about. And so we're now, Paul is telling Timothy and accusing these people of it, but I kind of look in the shadows, it's like, would he be talking to me? Am I the teacher that wants to be a teacher, doesn't know what he's talking about? So I try to stay with the text, read good commentaries. But you get the, the different doctrine, the speculation, replacing this God's administration, the myths, they're not true, endless genealogies, which now, an endless genealogy, you can go wherever you want to, and you've seen people do it. Every... Everybody that's got a church today that that's calls themselves Christian and is trying to use the Bible, they are using Bible verses to justify anything they want to teach in the world. You can find a Bible verse. Just take a verse about, you know, love, you know, you know, be kind. And our goal of our church is to be a kind, loving church. All are welcome. No judgment here. Oh, okay. That sounds very Christian. Stop reading the text and build your case on that. And then you can be critical of anyone who says, well, yeah, but this is a sin. That's a heresy. That's a corrupt lifestyle. That's false teaching. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not sensing love here. I'm feeling a little bit of judgment. It's like, well, have you turned the page and read the rest of the scripture? Are you getting the whole counsel of God? And again, that's, what, that's my goal is to keep teaching the text and many times, believe it, many times I've, I'm going this way, and as I read text, like, oh, I've got to make an adjustment. And, and you've got to uh, uh, believe that this was going on constantly in the new early church of people coming to Christ, becoming teachers, and then each other correcting each other as they stayed with the, the Word of God. Nonetheless, if you bring these things and switch it out here with this gray box like we ended last week talking about, you end up with this right here. Instead of having 
in the administration of God, the church, what he's doing in history today, he's got false teachers and heresies in place there, and they bring those in the box, get rid of the, the good teaching, the truth, the healthy doctrine, and you bring that in here. Now you've got a, you, you start with the depraved mind, you start with darkness in the soul, and you don't want to offend anybody, so you leave them in their darkness, you leave them in their depraved state, and say, you're okay, and you just build on that, and now you're going to produce a depraved mind with a deceived heart, a conscience that is seared, meaning if someone does read the word of God to you, and hopefully, I, I, I hope it continues for me, I read verses and my, my heart, my, my, my conscience is like, oh, I need to make a correction. That means you're still alive. It's kind of like, you know, when you feel pain, uh, I get, it, it's good in a sense because it means you're still alive. If you don't feel pain, you, know, you may be dead. Well, same thing. If you can read the word of God and go like, didn't affect me at all. Well, you're probably need, you probably got something you need to correct, but you get to the place where your conscience is seared you can hear the word of God and say, I don't, I'm not affected by it. And people and churches, cultures can get in that place, and there's no, there's no future for them. They can only be removed from history. Uh, and again, that not, that's not our job, but I mean, that's what God will do. And you can see through history, people that get cultures that become seared, they're removed or used for testing other nations or other believers. Their, their faith is shipwrecked. They produce law, instead of love, it's lawlessness, they're conceited, understand nothing, love money, envy, and that is that result right there. Let's go back to the positive chart. There, that's happy. All right. So now, that's what you see at the top of the page. That's where we left off last week. With that being said, chapter, uh, bottom of page 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, certain persons, that's how he identifies the false teachers here, certain persons by swerving from these, by swerving from healthy doctrine, good teaching, and truth, which produce in the hearts of people a pure heart. A, good, a pure heart means you're walking holy before God. A good conscience, you, you, you don't feel guilt because you've confessed your sins and you're doing what's right, and you've got a sincere faith. You're actually walking towards God, not just trying to impress people, but you're, you're seeking God. You're pursuing a relationship with God. You've got these right here. This is going to produce this. But certain persons, by swerving from these right here, the pure heart, the good conscience, sincere faith, have wandered away into vain discussion. For if you don't have this and you infiltrate these things in there instead, you're going to go off into vain discussions. And you can see uh, there's two things. You've got the English Standard Version. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions. The literal translation in the Hebrew, from which some having missed the mark, have turned aside to meaningless discourse. You can see the, the Greek words that are being broken down. And again, the points underneath are number one. Certain persons are the teachers. These are, these are the, I don't have it on the board there. The certain persons are the false teachers. Uh, and they are swerving from these. And I think I probably got it written down there on the next page. Swerving from these. Swerving. Or having missed the mark. There's a couple ways of translating it. They have missed the mark. Uh, interesting, that word uh, is, comes from a stockos. Here we go. You don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it kind of gives us some insight. A meaning not. Stockos, right there. So that's, bring this. Well, stockos, you can see it means a target. So there's a target. Now, this target should not be hard to identify. The target is the Lord Jesus Christ, who came in bodily form. The Lord Jesus Christ in bodily form went to the cross physically, died for the sins of the world. Jesus Christ physically on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, was buried, was resurrected, so that those who have faith in him can live with him in righteousness. They will be justified in Christ. That's the message. It's Jesus Christ and his physical appearance his physical death and resurrection and your faith in that because he died for you that is faith in the work of jesus christ and then the doctrines surround that to support that by missing the that's the target but this is some have instead of hitting the target and we saw that later earlier when we read through the whole chapter this is a faithful saying this is a faithful doctrine and he talks about jesus christ you put this A in front of target, and it becomes not target. 
somebody, and that's, that's the basis of this word that you can see there uh, in chapter 1, verse, verse 6. We've translated swerving. So there's the target, but they have swerved from the target. Or they have, another simple way, missed the target. It means to shoot at what is not a target. And so if this is the target, they're saying, look at this. We're shooting at that. Or we're, and they did. There's, if this is 360 degrees, and this is where we're shooting, you've got 359 other targets you could shoot at. It's like, well, which one's right? Well, there's only one, which means everything else is the wrong target. Whatever it is, if it's going to be you know, being inclusive, we want everyone to be involved. Or if it's going to be very legalistic, everyone's got to do it this way. Or whatever these other targets are, if it's not this target, it's the wrong target. And that's one of the goals of a, 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 a Christian, of a Bible teacher, of a church, is to make sure we're shooting at that target. And the safest way to do it, I think, is just keep teaching word by word, verse by verse. Because once I start, and believe me, I've got opinions. Once I start bringing in my opinions, we'll start switching targets. And it's like, and now listen, that target would be totally evil. It's, it's polar opposite. But this target is pretty close. But it's still the wrong target. So again, be careful when you talk about false teachers or certain people, because some people are like, absolutely not. That's, that's hideous. That's, unga- that's ungodly. Yeah, well, so is this. And so is the, you get this whole spectrum of, in that illustration. So uh, since they have uh, set up a false target, point two on page two, they have wandered away into vain discussions. So if you are teaching, for example, in my situation, I'm teaching the truth about Jesus Christ, but if I move the target and now I'm teaching over here and you're listening, you're taking notes, you're discussing it, you're building on that, maybe you're starting your own Bible and you're going this way, we are now, all of us are in vain discussions. It's empty. There's no power. You're not going to be able to change the human heart with the light and start producing the character of God. You're going to be going to a, a human heart in a vain discussion. There's no... I mean, think about dietary. In fact, that's what the word healthy doctrine means. Healthy, it, it's a medical term. It means sound, healthy doctrine. Imagine, you know, vegetables, you know, good protein. Think about just eating sugared cereal. It's like you're eating a lot, but it's just, it's emptiness. It's meaningless. It's, it's not going to help you. In fact, it's going to cause damage. And uh, they've turned to this uh, false target, having wandered away. And having the point three, the phrase, having turned away, there's your Greek word, was originally a medical term, meaning turns itself inside out or pull out of joint. So it says they've got a false target, and by aiming at the false target, they've turned themselves inside out or they've dislocated their shoulder or, you know, again, medical term, healthy doctrine will keep you in line, but corrupt doctrine is going to take you out of joint. It's going to turn you inside out it's a medical term and figuratively it came from that medical setting it came to mean uh, a turning away you've simply turned away turning out of place to something uh, facing something else turning away from the place of truth to a place of non-truth and this is this called to vain discussions meaning meaningless discourse uh, fruitless talk foolish talk idle talk and believe me believe me I do not want to do this uh and I want I and you sh- I don't mind you checking me and challenging me or talking amongst yourselves saying I think that was a little meaningless I think that was a little empty uh, because there are according to this in Ephesus and so by application in our culture somewhere there are people having church today and what is being said is meaningless now not to say it's evil or wrong or not correct it's like this will transform your life this is all empty talk. It took an hour and a half. We sang part of it. We acted it out part of it in a skit. We told some jokes. We had a guest speaker. We, we had a whatever, a, you know, a, a, a wandering, meandering prayer. And it's like, and what happened? It's like nothing. You, it was, but it was a great church service. Everybody was there. The music was great. It was meaningless. What? Because you, you were not aiming at this target, you found, we're looking for church growth. 
Okay, that's good. We're going to get more people in here to aim them at the target. But church growth, so we get more people doing meaningless stuff, it's like, it's empty. And this would be where Paul's coming. Again, he's not talking to our culture. I'm making an application. And I'm not being critical. Yes, I am. More, not, not into the, I'm, I, even myself. I mean, are you stinking wasting your time? You know, is, am, I getting, am I aiming you at a target that is biblical? Holding up my notes. Biblical, holding up a Bible. Or, you know, which one is it? So anyway, that's what he's saying, right? I'll read it again. Uh, English Standard, page one. Certain persons, by swerving from these, meaning changing the target, have wandered away into vain discussions. Here's a penetrating verse for myself. Chapter 1, verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law. Now, do you understand? That's I desire to be a teacher of the Word of God. So this is like, eh, that's kind of what I want to do. With desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they are make confident assertions. So right here, desiring to be teachers, they, these are teachers in the church. Now, this is where I think we're talking about teachers in the church, and I think we're talking about Jewish law. Desiring to be teachers of the law. Now, we'll talk about this word law, or teachers of the law. There's a, that's a, that's a word that's actually together. It's one word. Uh, so I think this is in the church, and I think this is the law would be Jewish. Now, when we say law in, in, the, in Jewish talking, you've got, uh, like when they refer to the Old Testament, when they're referring to in the, in the New Testament, about the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, they call it the prophets and the law, or the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. And the prophets would be, that's actually even the historical books, not just Jeremiah and Ezekiel, but that would include, uh, you know, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. That would be the prophets. The law is basically the first five books. It's not just the Ten Commandments. Uh, Genesis is the law. And notice what's in the law in Genesis. The genealogies. There's genealogies in the Chronicles and stuff also. But the law would be the first five books. So that would include a lot of what we'd say stories. Not, not myths or made-up stories, but a lot of historical accounts from the Garden of Eden, the flood of Noah, Tower of Babel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, going into Egypt, the captivity, the exodus, the wilderness, all that would be historical documents. Within that is some genealogies. And that's recording, you know, the names, who begat who, and each of the names means something. You know, they don't just have names. You know, they always have like, they have some kind of a meaning to it. So you take those meanings and branch off and make a story. But this right here, the stories can be allegorized. The genealogies can be, again, spiritualized, get the meaning. And you're over here. The story tells this. The genealogy is basically leading you towards the man, Jesus Christ. And there's more things you can find in there. But at the same time, you can get out here into all this speculation stuff. And you want to be teachers of the text. And the text is good. But here it says right here desiring to be teachers of the law they want to teach this without understanding they don't understand this they don't understand the purpose of it they don't understand the text they don't understand what they are saying or the things about which they so confidently assert what they're the text they, their words what they are saying that's the words that you're using to explain the text they don't match and you do not understand the story. You don't understand the words that you're reading. You don't understand the text. But you're still talking. Now, again, I, I look back, it, it, you know, go back. I've been teaching the Bible since, you know, 1980-something, 84, 85. And uh, I shudder to think, uh, and I've sometimes come across notes, some of the great insights I had when I was 24, 25, tying together things that no one had ever seen before as i'm tying together scripture it's like oh my gosh you know it just hope you didn't cause damage you know, i was too young for anybody to pay attention i hope and again even today you know yeah i write a book publish a book it's like oh so i worried i mean this is something that that is a concern but these people don't seem to be worried 
They're just going off and waxing elegant on things right here, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying, they don't understand the words you're saying, and you don't understand the content, the things about which they so make confident assertions. And people are listening, people are taking notes, people are following them. It's a problem that Timothy's been left there to find these people and shut them up, get them out of the churches because they're not teaching the target. They came in and started teaching these other things and people not knowing this is the target can easily, imagine this, you've got a seeker church. Imagine bringing all these people in to your church and they're there to learn about the target and grow in Christ, but they can't even identify the target. So they don't know. They've got a very limited understanding. A lot of times that, that cult, the, the culture has defined for them what church should be, what a Christian. How many times have you heard, well, a Christian shouldn't do that? Or, you know, that phrase a few years ago, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would turn the tables over. Jesus would prophesy about the temple being torn down. I don't think that would be what Jesus would do. Well, of course, because you've let culture defend. I'm not saying that identifies a good Christian going to church and turn all the tables over. But it's like we've got this spectrum of what would Jesus do, and it's not just this narrow little you know, sliver. But nonetheless, you understand what I'm saying. But how confusing it would be for a, a, a person coming out of our culture into a church, and then the leadership of the church isn't constantly pointing at the man, Jesus Christ, or the text the scripture the word of god and constantly imagine people coming out of our culture and not needing any more than a 20 or 30 minute membership class i mean there we've renewed your mind just sign this paper we'll baptize you tomorrow it's like do you not that we should you know not baptize people but you're i am constantly in my own self being renewed to this target i spend my day in the world, you know, if it be in the news or when I had a career or wherever you're at, and it's having an influence. We talk about it all the time. Tony, I, as our, our values begin to change, what was absolutely wrong in the 60s and 70s, that was like, don't even talk about that. It's like, now it's like, we're like just, you know, two or three degrees behind culture. You know, the culture's going the wrong way. Yeah, but you're right behind it. You know, my, my values or, or my standard of right and wrong would be here. But now that culture's moved over here, I'm not over here, but I am a little more this way. Again, uh, th that's just normal. That, that, you've got to be conscious of that and stay here. And if you stayed right here in, in your set of culture values, a lot of times you're, you're going to look really, really odd. But be careful. This was the culture values of the 60s and 70s. This is the culture. All right, what are you comparing? The 60s and 70s to 2024? Okay, no. Where, what is the Bible? Where are your cultural values? Maybe your cultural values were here. The Bible would be here. Maybe you need to adjust. You know, that's why you keep renewing your mind. Or I keep renewing my mind because I can feel myself being influenced by culture. So desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Uh, point one right here, the meaningless talk of by these certain men who want to be teachers seems to be their explanation, their insight, and lecturing on the law or the writings of Moses. In context, it seems like these people that want to be teachers are waxing elegant on the law of Moses. Now you think, oh, they're, they're great teachers of the Old Testament. No, they're using the Old Testament as a springboard to teach what they want to teach. And it, you can see that happening all the time, even today. Uh, the phrase, number two, teachers of the law. What I've got written here, teachers of the law. Like I said, that's one word in, in the Greek, and you can see it right there. Uh, you can see, break it down. Nomos, that's the word for law. Nomos. And this word right up here, from didaskoi, or didaskolos, that means teacher. Didaskolos, or didaskolai, uh, means teacher. So they want to be didaskolos nomos, or nomos didaskolai, teachers of the law. Now again, this right here, be careful, this means law, capital L, Moses law, or it could mean just, you know, the laws of the government, you know, the, the, the speed zone or something. So we, we, we don't want to make, we don't want to say it's the Jewish law. It could just be anything. Well, in fact, let's look at this. You can see the word right there, point 2A, namo didaskaloi. Uh, 
it is used in this way in Luke 5.17. And I've got it highlighted there and in italics, Luke 5.17. It happened that on one day of the days as, oops, too many S's in that word. See, spell check didn't fix that. It's like, oh, that's a word. Okay. One of the, and that first time I saw that, I would say, sorry. One of the, thank you, there's no, uh, okay. One of the days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So there's an example of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. In a good sense, that's what they were. They were teachers of the law. Now, they didn't necessarily agree with Jesus, but they were legitimate teachers of the law. Uh, Acts 5.34, referring to Gamio, Paul's teacher. A certain man stood up. Remember the, the, the disciples were brought in and said for the Sanhedrin, and they want to punish them or execute them. And Gamaliel's going to say, hey, men, just, if you just let them go, if this thing is from God, you're going to find yourself fighting against God. If this thing is not of God, it's going to burn out. Their leader's dead. We've already killed their leader. This thing can't last. And if it does last, it may be of God. So that's what Gamaliel's point is. A certain man stood up in the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee named, named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. So there's an example of teachers of the law. Gamaliel would definitely be a good example of a quality teacher of the law. And there were other teachers of the law. Some of them came to the faith. Well, these people in Ephesus want to be teachers of the law, but unlike Gamaliel, they don't know what they're talking about. This word is also, you just blow by this point, see at the top of page three. Last week we referred to that book, the F. Ephesica, which is, it means the story of Ephesus. It's a, about a young couple, and it's written right at, probably very close to this date that Timothy's being written. And I don't think this has any connection to our account, but that, this word, na, uh, namo didaskoi, is used in that book to refer to uh, uh, teachers of the law of pagan cultural cultic rituals. So this was a teacher of the Mosaic law, but you also have the pagans, and it's used in a pagan writing of a story about teachers in that culture that were teaching the people of Ephesus in a legitimate way the proper worship of Artemis. These are the cultural practices. They were teachers of the law of Artemis. Now again, so these people want to be teachers of the law. It's in the text. Uh, it, I'm going to say it, I, I think that doesn't make, that it's like a nice connection, but I don't think it has anything to do with this. I don't think these people... They may be blending it. They may be taking the cultic practices of their culture. And this, this is almost, it almost has to be this way. They're taking the law of Moses. They're taking the culture that they're used to, blending it together. Now we're teachers of the law. It's like, no, you've, you've. But I think as we read through this, talk about genealogies and stories and myths. It seems that they're reading in between the lines of the Old Testament, making stuff up. Okay. And then point C, one there, Plutarch also used the same thing to refer to those that are instructing cultic laws and pagan idol religions. Uh, these false teachers who want to teach, uh, they err in two ways. They do not understand the things they say. They do not understand the things that they are trying to explain. If they do not understand the text, you know, the, the, the law of Moses, then they do not know how and what they are actually saying. Since these want to be teachers are, are ignorant of their words, and the subject they should be ignored, and that's Paul's point. They need to be stopped because they don't know what they're talking about and they're misleading people. And the false teachers may be confident, but they are poor or ignorant statements in their teaching, which makes their words worthless, empty, and false. Okay, so that is what has taken place so far. They want to be teachers of the law, and I'm going to say it appears they want to be teachers of the law of Moses. Again, be careful. The law of Moses can be the Ten Commandments. It can be the laws that were written down. Or it can be the first five books. It's all within. They're probably doing all of that. Now, Paul is going to branch off here and describe a little more for us. Chapter 1, verse 8. Now, we know. Now he's making a doctrinal statement. To now, How do we evaluate this? First of all, now we know that the law is good. So right here, the law is good. So there's nothing wrong with the law. In fact, right here, I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Uh, you can go there if you'd like to also. Galatians 3, and this is where Paul is going to use an example. Uh, Galatians 3, 
24. Because what we're coming up to, and again, you're going to have to uh, uh, decide if this, this break is a correct break. The law is good, uh, but it's going to be used for the lawless. It is not going to be good. It's not necessary for the just or the justified or the righteous. Now, again, this is where we're heading in this, this point that he's making. You've got the law. The law is good. Okay, the law is good, but those that are, it's not for these people. It's, the law is not for the justified or the righteous. That is going to be able to mean a couple things. Meaning, if you're going to go off and follow the laws, drive the speed limit, uh, we don't need someone running around reminding you of the laws or checking on you. The law is not necessarily for you, you people because you're good citizens. You're going to follow the law, the cultural principles anyhow. So that's not why it's there. If everyone just did what was right, we wouldn't need the law. But also, especially coming out of these verses we're going to read in Galatians here, this justified and righteous may be more technical in you are a Christian or probably better said you are in Christ because you are a believer in Christ this law you don't need anyone teaching you the law of Moses because the law is to lead you to Christ if you are here you don't need all this worthless speculation of what was going on and all these secret myths and genealogies it's like you've met the target it, it's Jesus Christ the man Christ died for us well, let's go back and, and ex- you don't need this law because it was leading you to Christ and you found Christ, so that's the truth. Now, what the law is good for is the lawless. If you're going to reject this, well, you're still going to need some kind of law to hold you accountable, otherwise your culture is going to collapse. So the law is good if it is used in a, and again, nomos, the nomos is good if it's used in a nomos way. And it's almost a play on words. Nomos is good if it's used nomos, le- meaning legally. And legally would be, what do we use the law for? To stop lawlessness. Now, if you're a believer, this should no longer be a problem. You should be following Christ. Again, not that we're above the law or anything like that. But that's what he's being said right here. Now, here, read 20, uh, chapter 3 of Galatians. Um, I'm again in verse 21. And again, he's in the middle of a discussion with people that are actually Judaizers trying to bring the Christians from the target back into the law of Moses. They're redirecting the target. And and Paul's going berserk on them here in this book. Actually not being very Christ-like, if you would. I mean, he's being very Christ-like. But he starts the book off. I mean, here, 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 this is not the way you start your monthly newsletter to your congregation. Uh, uh, chapter 1 verse 6 I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ but even if I or an angel from heaven should preach the gospel other than the one we preached to you let him be eternally condemned that means anathema that means eternally burning in the flames of hell you know, that we, if they bring a gospel if they bring you this is the gospel I presented if they bring you this gospel he says let them burn in hell forever it's like whoa Paul back it down we've got to be a little more tolerant this is Paul turning tables over in Galatia as we have already said, and so now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what has been accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Notice he says it twice. It's almost like being on a talk show, and you make this bold statement, and then it's like, well, that might have been misunderstood. Oh, you think it might be misunderstood? Let me say it again, except slower, and, re- and he repeats the words again. It's like, oh my gosh, Paul. I, am I now trying to win the approval of men or the, of God? Am I now trying to persuade men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be serving Christ. Um, And then look in a, oh, oh yeah, chapter 3, verse 1. Here's, he's talking talking to his believers there in Galatia. Here begins chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, and that word is moronos, which means you morons in Galatia. Now he's not talking to the pagans, he's talking to the church. You morons, (laughs) 
Who has bewitched you? Meaning you've been, you've been someone that they've cast the evil eye. And the only way this would make any sense is if you're under a, a satanic spell that you're doing these things. So that's, that's his attitude here as he's going through. That kind of sets a little background. Chapter 3, verse 21. They're wanting to follow the law. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. The law is not opposed to the promises of God. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. In other words, the law of Moses says, if you'll do these things, you can have life. And all of Israel says, let's do it. And God's like, you should have chose option B. (laughs) Because, yes, the law is good, but there's one weak factor in this. You. You are going to naturally rebel against everything here. Which means the blessings of the law, if you do this, can't come to you. Instead, oh, what, what's this part? Oh, the curse of the law. If you don't do this, you get death and destruction. You should not have chosen this. And so he says the law itself is good. The law, yeah, that's nothing. Don't get mad at the law. The law is good. It's God's standard. This is how you live in the world. But Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. Everyone in the world is going to rebel against the law. So that what is, was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. In other words, God is giving you a different way. The law, which you can't keep, so listen. Let's change this. We're not changing the law, but we're going to have Christ. Your target now is to accept Christ, who is the very image of God. It, it's God himself. He's going to die with his righteousness. He's going to die for your sins, and you're going to then be legally placed in Christ and receive his righteousness. And now you don't need the law to be with God because you're in Christ, who's absolutely perfect. You're you're in Christ. You, You believe. So the law is good, but you're too weak to do it. You'll always end up getting condemned. So God says... I'll send Christ to pay for the sins of the world. He will fulfill the law. You can enter Christ, be in Christ, just like you were born in Adam. You can be born again into Christ. You're like a seed. We're all seeds of Adam, but you can enter and be a seed of Christ. And now you're justified. You're righteous. So that's a verse. But the scripture declares the whole world is prisoner of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe Before faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So we were always looking at this failing, but now the process of faith in Christ was revealed. So the law was put in charge. Watch this. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. We're always looking at this image of God that we could never attain, but it was setting us up. So when God says, look, I did it for you. Now by faith, you can be justified here. It's like, we rush to this promise here because the pressure's on Christ and us just accepting it. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified, justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So now that you're here, the purpose of the law as a supervisor, and that word supervision of the law is a word for schoolmaster. It would be, it, oftentimes it would be a slave that you'd, uh, a nobleman would have a child and he'd hire a slave and the child would be under the slave. The slave would be in charge of the child. Whatever the slave said, the child did. The child was his master. The slave was the master of the child. That's what that word is on. Until the child became 18 or the child inherited the father's estate and when the father child inherited the father's estate the slave let the child move on and become the adult and the slave maintained and that's what the, the law did it was a slave to teach the children until faith came so right here that's what he's saying in galatians about this now we know chapter 1 verse 8 now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully and i just explained to you how the law was used lawfully um turn the page and top of page four verse chapter one verse nine understanding this with that understanding that the law is not laid down for the just with that understanding you now comprehend the law 
is not for the just. Now you can say the good citizens who are obeying it, or in the Christian concept here, the law of Moses was not laid down for those who are justified in Christ. That's not even the issue. Was not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. Those who reject justification of faith, well, you're going to have to continue to follow these decrees until you come to recognition. Was not laid down for uh, the, the just, but was laid down for the lawless. And here's the whole list. Now, here we go through this whole list. I, I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version. The lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers and murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, that's slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Anything that is contrary to this is what the law is trying to get you to stop and get in this box. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Uh, turn the page, page 5, chapter 1, verse 11. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So he goes through in verse 9 and 10, gives this long list of these things. The law is trying to prevent this and this. And he gives you all these sinful, ungodly behaviors. And then says, in accordance with the gospel of glory of the blessed God, with which I have been. The gospel that got us here has put this in place to control this, which is an agreement that you're supposed to give this up and come to faith in Christ. Now, one connection here as I finish this up is that's just a, a typical list of like Paul writes these lists. But as you look at this, uh, you can see a pattern. I broke it down on the bottom of page four. Uh, the, the list of sins you can kind of group them together and they go in this order ungodly sinners unholy sometimes we combine some words and then profane now we get into some very specifics those who strike their fathers and mothers murderers sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality enslavers liars and perjurers and now i've wrote right here the ten commandments this is almost, again, and the commentators are, are say different things about it. None of them disagree with this. It's just how close are you going to come. You've got two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten commandments right here. And as Paul's going down this list, it is almost like he's reading through this list of ten commandments. And maybe mentions two or three here or one here but eventually right in here becomes very clear and i've got that written down he hits these 10 commandments four five six exactly right now if you look on page five at the top you shall know the gods before me that would be you know one of those top ones there ungodly uh you shall not make for yourselves an image sinners if you want to go in some kind of order you shall not misuse the name of your god then remember the sabbath day. now now at the end of these like the verse eight i've written right here what he actually lists this would be identified as the profane. Number 12, honor your father and mother. They strike their fathers and mothers. 13, you shall not murder. He lists in the next order, murderers. You shall not commit adultery. The next one is sexual immorality followed by homosexual. homosexual. Next, you shall not steal. That would follow right in line. Enslavers, people that are in the slave business of selling slaves. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. That would be liars or perjurers. And then it kind of breaks down there around the 10th the, the one with the covet. But you can see, kind of see it's almost like he's taken that list and consciously or subconsciously almost going through the Ten Commandments and just giving a definition for it. Now, and the key of this, as I wrap this up, the key in verse 11, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And so in other words, You've got these guys, certain men, they want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about. It's a bad message. Now, the law is good if you use it correctly. It is going to lead you to Christ. And if you are righteous, you do not even need this. You, first, you don't even need this. First, they don't know what they're talking about. They're speculating it. And if you're righteous, that's not even the goal. But instead, it's the gospel. And the gospel is what he says, I have been entrusted with. 
I've been entrusted with this gospel. And now that sets us up for the next, next week. Instead of this meaningless talk about the law, again, never saying the law is bad, but saying you don't, your application is not needed in this case to be a believer. But also, they're speculating. They're making stuff up. They're reading genealogies, meaningless talk. This is worthless. What we want to focus on is this, what I've been entrusted with, he's telling Timothy, what I've been entrusted with is the gospel. And so right here, instead of following this meaningless talk, we're going to go back to the gospel. These guys need to be stopped, and we need to keep focusing on this. So very simply, the churches, if they're bringing in this speculation and mythology, shut them up, get back to what I've been entrusted with, Timothy, which is the gospel, which he's already, well, he's going to say, a trustworthy saying, the man, Jesus Christ, died for the sins of the world. And that's coming up the gospel there. So again, we're just talking about this right here, what can cause confusion here and then lawlessness, or what can cause hope and light and lead you to godliness. Now we're talking about believers in Jesus Christ receiving the truth of the word of God. I'll pray and we're done. If you have any questions or comments or insights, uh, please feel free to share. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for your word. We ask that we would be people that would honor your word, that would be committed to your word, and not be distracted by uh, the, the partial truths and the distortions and the things that the culture wants to bring in, but the things that are of God, that we would follow your son, your spirit, and the word that you've revealed to us, the healthy doctrine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.